So it's good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. And uh, well, I'm glad you're here, and I hope you are as well. Uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 48. In Isaiah chapter 48, we're going to talk about refined glory uh, this morning. Um, and sometimes, you know, we have to go through trials and tribulations and uh, difficult seasons. And if we're honest, none of us like difficult seasons. Boy, we would much rather that we're just out on the up on the mountaintop of our spiritual walk and walking with God and, and things were great and it just seemed like it, you know God was near to us and we were near to him and uh, things were going our way. And, uh, but life doesn't happen that way, this side of heaven, does it? Uh, and sometimes uh, we do have to go through difficulties, but... We can look back on those difficulties that we came through in life, and without exception, we probably will find that those were the times that God drew us closer to him, and that God proved himself to be faithful. Um, the song in our hymnal, uh, Through It All, uh, it's just the chorus is in there, but it's got some verses to it. But uh, part of that song says, you know, if I never had a trial, I would never know that God could solve them. I would never know what faith in God's word could do. And that's so very true. Not that we need to disobey the Lord or, uh, you know, find ourselves in harm's way or in difficulty just for, you know, we shouldn't put ourselves in those situations, in other words, or do things we know that are going to end up there. But when they come our way, which they will, we need to understand that God is still with us. And that's the message that Isaiah is proclaiming to uh, the nation of Israel, to, to both the northern kingdom that's already been taken captive and primarily he ministered in person to the southern kingdom, and they haven't quite yet been taken uh, into captivity and wouldn't be for a, a while longer. But yet Isaiah says, listen, God has said if you turn back to him, he'll be there. And he reminds us that, hey, even in the midst of dark days in Babylon and Assyria, God is there with you. And God is using those days to refine you, to make you what you ought to be for his glory. And so that you're useful to him. So let's take a look, beginning in verse 1 uh, of chapter 48. The word of the Lord says, Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel. And you have come forth. Uh, from the wellsprings of Judah who swear by the name of the Lord and make mention of God, the God of Israel, but not in truth or in righteousness. For they call themselves after the holy city and lean on the God of Israel, the Lord of hosts is his name. I have declared the former things from the beginning, 
and they went forth from my mouth, and I caused them to hear it. Suddenly I did them, and they came to pass, because I knew that you were obstinate, that your neck was an iron sinew and your brow bronze. Even from the beginning I have declared to you, before it came to pass, I proclaimed it to you, lest you should say, My idol has done them, and my carved image and my molded image I have commanded them. You've heard, see all this, that you will not declare it. Have I made you hear new things from this time, even hidden things that you did not know them? They are created now and not from the beginning, and before this day you have not heard them, lest you should say, of course I knew them. Surely you did not hear, surely you did not know. Surely from long ago your ear was not open, for I knew that you would deal very treacherously, and we were called a transgressor from the womb. For my name's sake I will defer my anger, and for my praise I will restrain it from you, so that I do not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I will do it. For how should my name be profaned? And I will not give my glory to another. Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel. My called, I am he. I am the first. I am the last. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens, and I will call them, and they stand up together. All of you assemble yourselves and hear. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall do his pleasure on Babylon, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him, and I have brought him, and his way will prosper. Come near to me, hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and his Spirit have sent me. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go, that you had heeded my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants would also have been like the sand, and the offspring of your body like the grains of sand. His name would not have been cut off nor destroyed before me. Go forth from Babylon. Flee from the Chaldeans. With the voice of singing, declare, proclaim this, utter it to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. And they did not thirst. When he led them through the deserts, he caused the waters to flow from the rock from them. And he also split the rock, and the waters gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. What a, a great reminder of how God uses even the most difficult things of our life to mold us and to shape us 
into what he wants us to be. And he reminds us of two important truths here in this chapter. Uh, the, the people of Israel had forgotten what they were call, that they were the called people of God. And God here, he's been using, um, calling out to them and saying, Hey, listen, I've been telling you. You've known my word. You've known, you've, you've known my will, but you've not done it. And so he talks about God refining us. And th th there's a couple refining things that I want to talk about with us this morning. And the first is this, that God is working to develop a refined people. Remember Jacob and Esau from the book of Genesis. You remember Jacob was... In Hebrew, you perhaps know that Jacob in, in Hebrew means deceiver or thief. And that is what Jacob would become. That's, he lived up to that name. Remember, he tricked his brother Esau into giving away uh, the birthright. And, the, and you remember in, in the book of Genesis that Jacob is out in the wilderness... Uh, he's running from his brother uh, Esau. And there in the wilderness, uh, the book of Genesis records for us a very, very odd encounter. And it's an encounter when Jacob wrestles with God. And it's the encounter where God changes Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel. And so God very intentionally is reminding them of that important truth. As he begins this chapter, he says, Remember, you once were Jacob, but I called you to be Israel. And then he mentions Judah, which was the southern kingdom when the kingdom of, you know, when the Israelite kingdom was divided. There were uh, the northern kingdom that was uh, much more unfaithful to God. And there was the little kingdom of Judah uh, in the south which encompassed uh, the city of Jerusalem that was a little bit more faithful uh, to the Lord. But even they ultimately uh, would turn back and turn away from God. And because of their turning away, God says, that's why you're in the predicament that you're in. And God even says here, he says, listen, I raised up the Assyrians and the Babylonians by my hand. I made them to prosper and to become mighty armies and ha let them have the capability to take my people captive. And why did God do that? Well, God, through the prophet Isaiah, reminds the people and reminds us why he did that. He said, listen, you've heard my words. You know what I expect of you. And you've not done it. You've known the commandments. And you've not obeyed them. The straw that broke the camel's back and got Israel in trouble throughout its history, really, was idolatry. Was bowing down to gold and silver images that they themselves had created. 
and allowing wooden idols and uh, to come into God's house, and that ultimately was both the northern and the southern kingdom's undoing. He said, you know what? You're an obstinate people. In other words, you're stubborn. And you're stiff-necked. You won't listen. And so, I'm doing what I have to do to get your attention. But I told you beforehand that it was going to happen. I told you that if you disobeyed, <coughs> that there was going to be consequences. And he reminds them again, if you'd only obeyed, there would have been blessing, but you disobeyed. And so he says, listen, you have bowed down to idols, you, you, you call on me, you call on the one true God. But he said, not in truth and righteousness. In other words, you're using me as a talisman or a rabbit's foot a good luck charm or get a jail free car and God says I don't appreciate that very much and so I'm telling you beforehand what's going to happen so that you can't say well my little idol statue that I've been bowing down has brought this punishment to me So God's saying, listen, I've called you. He said, I am the Redeemer. The Holy One of Israel. I've told you the ways that you should go. And what you needed to do to find blessing and prosperity. I told you. Verse 18 says, oh, that you would have heeded my command. Oh, if only you would have listened. But God knew that they wouldn't. And so God says, and reminds us, <coughs> and through the prophet Isaiah reminds them that they're in captivity and they're going to go through some decades of captivity to refine them. He said, I'm going to refine you not as silver, though silver was what they chose to make their gods out of most of the time. And you're, they would fire up a pot and put that silver in there and all the gunk would float to the top and they'd skim it off and what was left was the pure silver. Well, God said, no, I'm not going to do it like that. And said, I'm going to refine you by the furnace of affliction. In other words, you're going to go through tribulation. You're going to go through difficulty. And through that difficulty, all that dross, all the junk, is going to float to the top, and we're going to skim that off. And you're going to be left with just me. And we're reminded that when God is all we have, we find he's all that we need. Israel had become so prosperous and so powerful that they began to think they were the ones 
that developed the power. And they were the ones that developed the prosperity when it was God's hand that brought those things. And so they were going to learn that just as God's hand had brought that prosperity, he was going to take it away. When you read on later on in uh, the later books of the Old Testament, if you read the, some history from the intertestamental period, the time between the Old and the New Testament, you find something very interesting. When, when Nehemiah, when, when they came back from captivity, when Cyrus let them go, and they came back and they rebuilt the temple and, and all that and resettled the, the promised land. They never again wrestled with idolatry. It took them being taken captive to foreign lands, everything that they had being destroyed, for them to come to their senses and say, you know what? Probably ought to learn from the history of our grandfathers and our great grandfathers and our great 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 grandfathers who learned the lesson back in Exodus. God's having to keep reteaching this lesson. You know what? We probably should finally learn. Say, you know what? We shouldn't bow down to idols. We shouldn't make carved images and worship them because there's one true God and God will not share his glory with anything or anyone. God alone is worthy of our worship. He alone is almighty. He alone is uh, all-knowing. He alone is everywhere. He alone is God. And so God reminds Israel and reminds, reminds us today that God is not concerned about our happiness. He's concerned about our holiness. And if our happiness is getting in the way of our holiness, God will take away that happiness. He will refine us. He will bring affliction. But here's the thing, and here's the, the great part of the story. Not only is God working to, he said, listen, you were called. Remember, you, Jacob, deceiver, mocker, thief. Now are blessed of God. He says, but you don't act like it. If you would only listen, you would find the promises of the, the Abrahamic covenant, and that's part of what he, lists, he, he mentions here. He brings that, uh, the sands of the seashore and your offspring. That's a promise that God gave to Abraham way back in the book of Genesis. He said, oh, that you only would have listened. And because you wouldn't listen, I'm going to refine you. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to get you to, to listen and to bend and surrender 
to me to recognize that you are not God. And I tell you, friend, that God is still that same God today as he was in Isaiah's day. And he will refine us in whatever measure it takes to refine us. God desires for him just to simply speak and us to obey. But if God speaks and we do not obey, rest assured, he will get our attention. He will not make you do what he wants, but he will make sure you know what he wants you to do. And he'll make sure you understand there are consequences if you choose to disobey God. It's like there's promises of blessing if you choose to obey him. And so, so today, God still is working on building a refined people. And that there are times when God has to send us through the refiner's fire to make us what we ought to be. And to understand that the refiner's fire, it's uncomfortable and it's painful, and yet it's necessary. And what comes out at the end is something much more precious and much more valuable and much more useful than what you started with. And what you were left without, what God took away, are things you didn't need to start with. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says, Who the Lord loves, he disciplines. Just as a loving father corrects his child, God corrects his children. And when we enter that refining process, it's a good thing. It reminds us that we belong to God. And we're walking with him. And we want him and he wants us. And so God is working to build a refining fire, but also not only is he working to build a refined people, but he's working to bring about a refined peace. What Israel in the Old Testament expected of the Messiah was that they were going to enjoy world domination, that they were going to be the world superpower, that you know things that peace was going to come through their military might. And so God said, okay, let's see about that. And to the northern kingdom, he sent the Assyrians. And in 722 A.D., the Assyrian, or B.C., came and took the northern kingdom captive. And then a little more than 100 years in 586 B.C. The Babylonians came and took Judah and hauled them off captive and destroyed the city of Jerusalem, knocked down its walls, burned the walls, knocked down the temple, burned the temple. I mean, they just set the city on fire. That They did so much damage that when Nehemiah came back, the piles of rubble were still smoking. And it had been a good number of years. But, and even, 
in the time of the New Testament, part of the reason why the, the Jews had such a hard time recognizing Jesus as the Messiah was they weren't looking for a baby being born in a city in Bethlehem and growing up as a carpenter's son in a little town called Nazareth. They were looking for a mighty little warrior riding in on a giant horse that was going to come and take over the government and Israel again was going to be uh, the world power and the dominating force in the world. But you remember God said in the prophet Isaiah, he said in the prophet Micah, the Messiah is going to come, he's not going to come with might. Even the, the town that he would be born at was forecast by the Lord. And it wasn't Jerusalem the Messiah was going to be born in. It was the little piddly old village of Bethlehem. And they didn't see it. Because they expected the Messiah to come and bring peace by military might. But the peace that God was concerned about was not world peace but spiritual peace and so he said you know what there i am god almighty i am the first i'm the last i'm the beginning and i'm the end i'm the holy one of israel i'm your redeemer i'm the one that is going to save and redeem and that's where peace is going to come not by military might, and not by financial prosperity, but spiritual peace. And so in verse 22, he says, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. In other words, those that don't listen and those that don't heed God's word, they're not going to find peace. Those that look for peace in themselves or look for peace in guns or look for peace in money are not going to find it. Because peace only comes from knowing the Prince of Peace. And did Isaiah say, remember in Isaiah beginning in chapter 9, I think it's maybe verse 6, he talks about the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, that this Messiah was going to come and His name would be called Wonderful and mighty counselor, prince of peace. And so Isaiah has been reminding him of that throughout this whole message. And he ramps up the reminder again, saying, remember, peace could have come. Peace comes from knowing God and living for God. Worshiping Him in truth and in righteousness. Something that Israel had failed to do. I hope you're not one of these, but we all probably do know someone, maybe a bunch of someones, that claim to be a Christian, say that they're saved, but they see God more as this genie in a bottle, 
or as a get-out-of-jail-free car, someone you call on only when there's trouble. That's certainly how the Israelites had come to see God in Isaiah's day. God says, that's not who I am. And though you say you know me, you don't. And though you say you're mine, you're not. And so I'm going to bring through a refining fire of affliction, bring a remnant. I'm going to bring up all the dross, all the junk, so that it can be skimmed off. And what's left are people that worship me and worship me alone. And know that I am who I am. That I am God. That I am the only God. You know what? You could have peace. In fact, he said, peace like a river. And righteousness like the waves of the sea. That's what God desires. But how do you have that? You obey Him. And you live with Him. And for Him. Israel had come to the place where they did not live for God. They lived for themselves. They had gotten so far away from God that they had stopped celebrating the Passover. It wasn't that they just stopped going to temple, which they did. They didn't even go on the high holy days when they, you know, that you were commanded to go. They didn't even go make that. And they didn't talk about God's word, and they didn't obey God's word. And you know what? It began to affect their children. And there's children, children. So it came to the point where God's people were so far away from him that though they had become Israel and they were Israel, they were acting like Jacob. They were acting like a deceiver. And they were deceiving themselves. As they said, I'm a child of God. And they were far from being the child of God. And so God says, you know what? Get out of here in verse 20. He says, listen, I'm going to deliver you. He said, you will get out of the captivity that you're going to find. In other words, the affliction is not going to last forever. The refining is not going to last forever. There will come a time of restoration. And that time of restoration is a restored relationship with God, and that's what will bring peace. Well, we know from watching the news and seeing things around our world, not only here at home, but around the world, this world is far, far from peace. And there are more guns and more weapons than there have ever been in the history of the world today. And yet there's not peace. And there's more peace accords and agreements and treaties today than there ever has been in history. And yet, we don't have peace in our world. 
we have more stuff than we've ever had in human history. And yet there's not peace in this world. And the reason is, is because peace does not come from stuff. And peace does not come from power. Peace comes from the Prince of Peace. And that's the only way it can come in our life, and that's the only way that it can come to our world. But here's the thing. We have the end of the book, and we know that one day, the Prince of Peace, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, will come back. And this old sinful world will be put to an end. All the striving, all the wars, all the fighting, all the pain will end. And God will make a new heaven. And a new world. God is working to bring about a refined peace. Can I tell you that if you're looking for peace in money or power or prestige, you're never going to find it. But if you look to, for peace in the Prince of Peace, I guarantee that you will find it. Let's stand together and let's, we'll be dismissed for Sunday school this morning and um, great reminders from uh, God's word brother uh, uh, George would you dismiss us in prayer uh, this morning please